The following podcast contains graphic discussion of true crimes laced with foul language and tipsy banter that may be offensive and disturbing to some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Jeffrey Dahmer first. Oh, right. Okay. Uh-huh. Second. <laughs> oh, oh, hi. hi. Yeah, that's right. Oh. Hi, everybody. No. Howdy, partner. <laughs> yeah. That's right. We're going back to the Old West today, and we're, like, really excited about that. Oh, yeah. Taking it back yes. to old Americana. I love it. Cowboys. And Indians. <laughs> You can't oh. say that, Oh, Rebecca. you can't? No. Why? Because it's, oh, it's not PC. It's not PC. But aren't they American Indians? Native, Native Americans. Americans now? Oh. Yes. I guess I'm, like, left in the back. <laughs> well, so, in this write-up, we have to say it because it's in the context of, of the Old West. Yes. So, because I do have some Indian in my That's story. Fine. That's fine. So, I'm uh, sorry if it's not PC. You can say that at the time. <laughs> All right. Well, yes. Today, we're going back to the Old West, and we're going to be talking about cowboys and robbers and all that gunslinging fun stuff. Absolutely. Good old family fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it'll be fun. We're going we're gonna to turn our little space into a saloon today. Oh, <laughs> <We're yeah. laughs> we are definitely cracking the bottle open. Moonshine, maybe? <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, but definitely turning it into a little saloon today. And with that, why don't we get on with our wine of the day. So today's wine of the day is Purple Cowboy Wines Tenacious Red Blend from Paso Robles, Central Coast, California. Awesome. Yeah. I love the bottle. It's adorable. It's very, very cool. It's so cute. It looks like a bandana. Paisley's. I love it. We're going to be posting this on our Instagram, so definitely check this out also on our website. But let me tell you something a little bit about the wine first. So it contains vibrant aromas of crushed red berries and cherries, notes of cola and cinnamon, and a hint of earthiness, which sounds pretty damn good to me, Mm -hmm. wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. All right, so let's give it a little pour. Ooh, nice. Very, very rich. So the color's like a teeth staining dark red with like some purple notes in it. We're gonna have killer smiles lady, but you <laughs> later, but you know what? I don't care. Like I want to drink your blood. <laughs> I'm totally fine with it. It's like rock and roll Dracula. Hello. I love it. I'm totally fine with it. Very rock and roll. Alright, cheers. Cheers. Ooh. Oh, that's really nice. That is lovely. That is really, really delicious. 
This is really nice. You know what? Oh, really Okay, good. let's try to drink slow yes. and just finish our one glass. Okay. I mean, we're going to try. Okay. Probably but won't. It probably food. won't work. And this is, you know what we should do? Like, as soon as we're done, go outside, but like bring the rest and go sit out on the deck. Oh, okay. Because it's a beautiful oh, evening. Oh, yeah, definitely. And this is like the kind of red, this is like summer oh, yeah, deck definitely. sitting, drinking wine. Yes. When you say. I agree. 100%. All right. Awesome. So, so just a little note about our friends at uh, Purple Cowboy Wines. Um, really cute story. Um, I want to share about how they came to be. So awesome. it's right on the back of the bottle. It's adorable. So I have to share it. Uh, once upon a time in wine country, there was a group of young winemakers. They worked hard all week and tasted so much wine that their teeth turned purple. <laughs> On weekends, these same men loved to rodeo. They became known as the bands of the Purple Cowboys, so the legend goes. Oh, I Which, love how that. How funny is that? That's awesome. I know. And... I actually, that just reminded me, I got an email the other day uh -huh. that they're bringing the rodeo back to Madison Square Garden. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my no, God. Yes. Oh, we so, have to I go. know. I'm looking, I'm going to look into this. Honestly, I'm, my whole goal is to get a shirt that says, this actually is my first rodeo oh, because I've never been to one. And my cousin has been going. My cousin Danielle loves, loves, loves the rodeo. Uh -huh. And she's been like trying to get me to go and like, you know, a total like buzzkill. <laughs> I never was able to go. But now that I got this email, I didn't even get a chance to text her yet. But I definitely want to go to the rodeo. Oh, yeah. That sounds that like so much fun. That would be so much fun. Oh, Madison Square Garden. Come oh, on. yeah. And then there's Absolutely. so many great bars down there. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Ones that have the bowl that you got to oh, yeah. ride. Yeah. I want the whole experience. Okay? <laughs> I'm going to go to the rodeo. Absolutely. Drink some beers. Have fun. Go to the other bar. Ride the bull. <laughs> call it a day. I love it. That's <laughs> awesome. I mean, none of this is probably going to happen, but one can hope, one can wish. But I'm definitely going to get to the rodeo. If, oh, no. That sounds awesome. Yes. So, all right. So, anyway, so we just want to say thanks so much to Chelsea from Vintage Wine Estates. Um, and, again, our friends from Purple Cowboy Wines for providing us with our wine of the day today. Yes, thank you. Yes. And, Very as always, good. you can find photos of our wine of the day on our Instagram and also our official website. So, now we're drinking our cowboy wine. Let Purple us talk cowboy. about some cowboys, shall Abs we? Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, Rebecca, I went first last time. So I know. You went first this time. me. But guess what? <laughs> Do we do this where, like, I go first one week, then you go first, or do we do it like we just take turns? So, for instance, I went first last time. Right. Then you told your story. Right. Right? So, theoretically, my turn. It should be my oh, turn. Oh, right. Because right? we should be alternating. Yes. yes. Do we alternate that way, or do we... Or, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> or do we alternate who goes first? Yeah. Decisions, decisions. Deci yeah, we'll have to ponder that. Well, let's ponder it out yes. on the deck later with the rest yes, of this Yes, absolutely. Okay, so, so we'll get back to you guys okay. on what we finally decide on. <laughs> well, we better decide something right now because one of us has to go. Well, I'm going to go now because go. I'm already prepared. I've already prepared my <laughs> She's stuff. in the zone. I'm in my zone. Okay. All right. Do so it. I want to talk about Charles Kennedy. He was an Old West serial killer. 
He was a mountain man who lived near Eagle's Nest, New Mexico. One day in 1870, Charles's wife came running into a saloon crying. She was incredibly upset. She confessed to the townspeople what she had witnessed. And when you hear this, you are going to be like, what in the world is going on? (laughs) Great. Can't wait. Unbelievable. Awesome. So what this man would do is he would rob and kill passers traveling through. So as they were going along, he put up a sign that said, in this way. And he was a big, husky, full-bearded man. He owned what he would call the traveler's rest area, this inn. So he put up a sign on where people are, like, riding the horses or or relocating. Yeah, kind of like... Coming through town. Exactly. Let me get, like, a drink and maybe, you know... A hooker for the night. Right. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, the hooker part, but... These old saloons, hell oh, yeah. They brothels galore. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, I see We're clearly in different old wests. My old west contains brothels and prostitutes. And, uh... Yeah. And mine is, like, this wholesome family that has this home and they open it up to strangers coming through and they make them dinner and... Well, hopefully our <laughs> listeners are also into their first glass of wine because by the time it's my turn, they're like, oh yeah, give me all that crazy stuff. I'm ready for that. No, go. This is, sounds good. This sounds it, good. Because I want to find out what the lady said. I'm sorry I interrupted. Go. Okay. So... Basically, their home became a traveler's rest stop. So after travelers would register at a rest stop, which was some before hand at some point. Yes. So from what I understand, the, the Old West, what they used to do is have like a, a road that they'd be going on. And there were checkpoints where they could actually sign in and just let people like yes. know that they were there. Yes. Yes. Because you got to remember, there's no technology. Right. There's no telephones. Right. It's the Pony Express yeah. going on yeah. here. So you, they would sign in and it could take months to realize that somebody was missing. Yeah. Because if they didn't sign into their next checkpoint, then they knew that where they had gone missing. Right. So from their last, they're got to be within this radius of this area if they get go unheard of. So, so And sometimes like they want to leave like little packages. People want to leave little packages for them. So they send them to the <laughs> right? Right. They get their little care. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, because that's they know that they would be at that certain point in X amount of days or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so they stay Pony oh, yeah. Express it to yeah. there. And <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And that's how the U.S. Post Office began. Today's going to be a good one, folks. <laughs> I can tell already this is going to be a good so after the travelers would register at a rest stop some would disappear never to be heard of again these traveling strangers were rarely missed in the highly transient settlement so basically their little settlement had people coming in and out all the time it was busy enough not to notice Mm -hmm. so it's a perfect killing ground Gotcha. And I, I apologize. I'm sure you said this, but when did this one was oh, the, around the time? This no, you're was? absolutely right. I don't think I did say, did I? 
I must one I well this happened in 1870. Oh, okay. Didn't I say that? Yeah, but Maybe I, I did. You I'm sure you did. I just yeah, forgot. because he lived near the town called Eagles Nest, New Mexico. Um, and one day in 1870, his wife went running to the police. So that's right. That's, that's how right. that all started. So 1870. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Needed a little jag. Old, old West. Needed a little jag in the memory there. Thank you. So this was a very transient place. People coming and going all the time. So no one really noticed that when someone went missing. Evidently, when travelers stopped for a bed and a meal, Charles killed them. He stole their val valuables and either burned or buried their bodies. These events might never have ever been known except for his wife's confession. When she had fled from the home in terror on that day, and actually she was a Indian woman, so she was a Native American, and she was married to him. And when she burst into the saloon, there was a man named Clay Allison there and a Davy Crockett. Oh, he, Davy! Davy Crockett. Good old Davy! Now, now, he was only a nephew of the American uh, frontier man. Oh. But... Nonetheless, he was related. <laughs> so Davy Crockett and Clay Allison in the days of these days in a saloon where they'd been drinking decided they were going to take the law into their own hands. Mm. So when, this, she, when the wife goes in, she confesses to what has been going on. See, she's got the loose lips. That's the problem <laughs> right there. Loose lips. You gotta, you gotta be careful who you tell things to. Through thickness and what is it? Through thick and thin. <laughs> you never know. Make sure you know. Yeah. So after they helped her to a chair, she told the story of how her husband had killed the traveler, and it was even worse than that. Ugh. And her son. Their son. Yeah. His own son. So, hysterically, she continued the shocking story, telling of how her husband had been luring travelers, perhaps as many as 14, into their cabin and then murdering them. On this day that she had fled, she had witnessed another traveler who her husband had lured and enticed inside by offering him supper... During the meal, the passerby asked his hosts if there were many Indians around. Her unfortunate son made the fatal mistake of responding. Can't you smell the one Papa put under the floor? <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Alrighty. Yeah. At this, Kennedy went into a fury. Hmm shot his guest, and bashed his son's head against the fireplace. He then threw both bodies into the cellar, locked his wife in the house, and drank himself into a stupor. That's anger issues oh, yeah. right there. <laughs> I mean, you know what he got? And you know he got that shits on in like under five minutes here. He was like, bang, bang. Psh, psh, toss him in. See ya. That's how crazy he was. Oh, it, it sounds... He's like a total nut job. I mean, come on. I mean, he enticed them he, for exactly this purpose, going, oh, they'll never be a mess. Well, of course, he figured out the system. Yeah. So, terrified, his wife 
waited for her husband to pass out, and then she climbed up through the chimney to escape to get out of this out of this house. So now we're back to Clay Allison. He is a gunfighter, not just Clay uh, Allison sitting at the bar, you know, the saloon drinking and having some toddies after a long... No, he is a gunfighter. Right, right. So as soon as she comes in, he stirs everybody up. He's like, lynch him! <laughs> that that mean, bastard. Yeah. 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 So he's a local rancher gunfighter who was known for his fighting skills and almost always around anything violent that happened, he was in the lead of the group mm. doing whatever it was. So it sounds like a real vigilante kind of a situation. Um, so... You know, I love the vigilante situation. Oh. <laughs> I never participate in one. But just the, like, thought of it is like, yes, because it's something. Come on, we all oh, think yeah, about that. Absolutely. There are people in our lives that we have said, look, yeah, we're all human, right? It doesn't make us serial killers. It doesn't make us, like, you know, we don't need to be under some watch or something. But let's face <laughs> right. it. It's human to, like, kind of, like, you know sort of visualize somebody's death. I mean, it's just, you want to get back at them. You were like, hey, look, all right, I'm going to kill you. We've all been there. We've all been there. Let's face it. Okay, so when I do hear of vigilanteism, it, like, it just sparks a little thing in me. It doesn't mean, you know. Yeah, yeah that you're going to act on it. Yes. It's one of those, yes. Don't be weird around me or anything. No, it just, it's, the story's fun to listen to, sorry. So as she's stirring up the crowd, they go and they send some guys off to run ahead and see if it's true. See if there's bodies or whatever. Yeah. Kind of confirm the situation before we get all like up in his face and all go there for tizzy. blood. Yeah. They all kind of say, let's go see. So the search provided a number of partially charred human bones still burning in the fire and two skeletons beneath the house, oh. which would be the Indian that the boy said was buried under the kitchen floor. So later, another skull was found nearby and a witness to one of the murders came forth. So there was a lot of evidence against him. So Kennedy, still drunk, was quickly found and taken into custody. He was given a pretrial on October 3rd, 1870, where the witnesses appeared testifying that they had seen Kennedy shoot one of the travelers. So the court ordered that Kennedy be held for an action by the grand jury, but rumors began circulating that Kennedy's lawyer was going to buy his freedom. Three days later, Allison and his companions snatched Kennedy from the jail, threw a rope around his neck, and dragged him by a horse up and down Main Street until long after he was dead. I hope that rope was wrapped around his balls. That would have <laughs> made it like so much better, but... Absolutely. So basically the townspeople did the right thing by handing him over to the authorities yeah. and not killing him right then and there. Yeah, yeah. And then when they started to hear, hey, this ain't going the way we want it to. Maybe the sheriff left skis hanging on the hook. <laughs> Get 
you just picture it now? Like, I, I can picture, like, I have this old black and white, yes. like, um, country western going off yes. in my head. Like, I'm putting this all to that. I know. It's that's so what amazing. was so fun about this one. Yes. Like, I, this yes. is why we're having such a great time yes. now, because it was fun researching this stuff, oh, yes. because it was, like, anytime we think about, like, cowboys back oh, then, yeah. the old west, I mean, immediately, it's like, you know, action. You're, like, <laughs> straight into action. Like, I'm doing so. I'm, like, seeing it. Oh, well, was mine's easy to see. You'll find out why. But, like, seriously, it was just so, like, yeah, yeah totally. Awesome. I love it. I love it. And this whole time you've been, like, talking about it, I've, like, been visualizing <laughs> yes. it. Yes. Isn't that Isn't so it? great? Yes. I just, no. What was up with this? And, you know, can't you just see, like, these guys come, hey, we got to check <laughs> around. We got to look for some dead people. They come walking <laughs> in in their spurs. Like, what might be going on around here? <laughs> That's more like, I don't yeah. think they were like, what's <laughs> up around here? Yo, what up with this? <laughs> but okay, modern <laughs> Yes, no, 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 no. I reckon something happened here. Yes. No, it's Absolutely. great. It's great. That's because that's what they see in the cowboy movies. I reckon something came right. over here and killed somebody. <laughs> every time. Every time. In every cowboy movie, right? Every western, it's always a reckon. <laughs> reckon. Basically, they took him by horse up and down. He was totally dead. His body was not allowed by the townspeople to be buried in the Catholic cemetery and was interred outside the cemetery boundaries. Banished. Banished for all of eternity. Yes. So that's my story. Well, it's nice to know that there's another Kennedy family yes. <laughs> that has, you know, some sort of a checkered past. Right. It doesn't always have to be. Maybe like this the is why they have the curse Kennedys, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, okay. this is yes, the, yes. Ross, the curse of the Kennedys. Yeah. All these people he killed. <laughs> the Wild oh, West predicted that. The Wild West predicted that. I love it. Let's go with it. Why not? I love it. All right. So good. I liked it. Yeah. It was a good one. Yeah. It well, was a lot of fun. Like, like you said. It was. And like, right when you were talking about like what he was doing, like I totally visualized him. That's why I said like that. Like coming in with his boots <laughs> like, and his spurs <laughs> and his chaps. And just taking care of all of that in like two seconds, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh my God. All right. So listen, when I do mine, I just want to give you a heads up. Here's the thing about this wine. Um, okay. Besides it being absolutely oh, delicious, it's, it's 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 a little bit of a creeper. And by creeper, what I mean is like, give it about like, mm, after you drink about a quarter of it, give it about like five minutes, it'll start creeping up. And then all of a sudden you're just kind of like, ooh, ooh, yes, I like the way I feel. So, totally looking forward to yeah. continuing this, taking this outside. Yes, it's very good. All right, so my story today, I have to say, I have to give props to my husband, Jonathan, because he kind of inspired my story today. Oh, cool. All right, so I based it off of a movie that he really, really, really loves. So, 
Today, I'm going to talk about Robert Leroy Parker, better known as Butch Cassidy. Oh. So, of course, he was a U.S. train robber and bank robber and leader of a gang of criminal outlaws known as the Wild Bunch in the old U.S. In the U.S. Old West. <laughs> so I mean, the U.S. Old West. <laughs> Cut it. Okay. Anyway, so yes, yeah, so I'm talking about like Butch Cassidy today. I love it. All right. So here we go. I, I'm going to try to do my husband proud because he does not know anything I'm saying today. So okay. All right. So Robert Leroy Parker, then known as Bob, was born April 13th, 1866 in Beaver, Utah, the first of 13 children in a family of Mormons. Oh, wow. Good times. Good oh, times. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, his parents, Anne and Maximilian Parker, were both immigrants from England who met and married in the United States. For a while, Bob worked as a butcher in Wyoming. There he acquired the nickname Butch, which seemed to stay with him. He wanted to carve out a better life for himself, no pun intended. <laughs> so he left home as a teenager. Working on farms and ranches, he met rancher Mike Cassidy, who didn't exactly have a stellar reputation, but Butch took a liking to him and in time added Cassidy's last name to his nickname, and thus he became Butch, Butch Cassidy. Cassidy. Okay. All right. So around 1880, Butch Cassidy committed his first criminal offense, but it was just a minor one. He journeyed to a clothier's shop in another town, but found it to be closed. So he entered the shop and you're going to love this. You're going to love this. Oh, my God. Stole a pair of jeans and some pie. They had jeans back then? Leaving. <laughs> That's what you took out of it? on the okay. store in a okay. second. Okay. But listen okay. to this. I'm sorry. So he steals the jeans and the pie and he leaves a note promising to pay oh. on his next visit. So he was like a considerate An thief. IOU. Yes. <laughs> he left an IOU. He left the IOU on his way out. And in doing my research, I actually learned that his criminal like calling card was referred to as the gentleman bandit. Because he like charmed. <laughs> yeah, he was so charming. He was so charming. He charmed his way through life. Thank you so much for letting me rob your bank today. Yeah. So going back to the shop, because I can I just say um, there needs to be more like mom and pop shops oh, where you can get like jeans and pie. Right? At the same time. Oh, yeah. But it kind of... But it defeats... <laughs> a general story. Yeah, but here's my problem, because I had thought about this, obviously. Um, so here's my dilemma, though. So I love pie so much. I actually would prefer a slice of pie over, like, a slice of cake, if I'm yes, being honest. Me too. All right, nice, nice oh, fruit yeah. pie. I'll even go okay. for, like, a chocolate cream pie. But uh -huh. the thing is, is, like, okay, but it defeats the purpose, because it's, like, if I... The more pie I eat, the bigger... I'm 
going to have to keep outgrowing my jeans. So it's <laughs> smart marketing on their behalf okay. because, I mean, they're going to, they're selling you pie, you're getting bigger, you got to buy new jeans, okay? <laughs> but it, like, kind of, it would defeat the purpose for me because the more pie I eat, you know. But how fun is that, right? Well, they have both for you then. Eat more pie, buy yeah. more jeans. Well, look, how cool, how cool <laughs> the next size. That's what I mean. A customer, forever customer. That's what I mean. It's like they're subliminal, like, oh, pie? Bigger? We got to sell them the bigger <laughs> Like, they, yes, that's what I mean. They're keeping themselves in business. Hello, they're thinking, Lincoln. <laughs> I love it. Right? Entrepreneurs. But then, how fun is it, like, how fun is it, like, to be a customer and just be like, um, yeah, okay, I'll take these Levi's and, like, a slice of strawberry <laughs> rhubarb, please. Like, right? Like, how awesome would that be? That's awesome. You know? I would love it. I know. And it's like, they, like, seriously, they should just bring back these, like, old I West, know. like, general stores oh, where you could get, like, you know, a cheese sandwich and, like... Doilies. You could go in and buy an ice pick in August, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, I'll take this rope and uh, a pound of peaches. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Um, all right. So getting back to this whole, like, stop or whatever. Okay, keep going. Okay, so the other thing I wonder is, like, what Butch Cassidy really went to this store for? Like, was he going there for jeans and saw the pie and was like, you know, while I'm here, let me get, like, a slice of that? Or did he hear, like, they made the best, like, huckleberry pie and he had, like, the freaking midnight moonshine munchies and was like, I need to get me some of that. And then he's like, oh, you know, while I'm here, I need a new pair of jeans because this one has a hole in it. You know? Right. What was he? Like, which was the the, the what, original goal? What? Was it the pie or the jeans? <laughs> right. Which one was just, hey, yeah, we'll get some of that too. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know what? They had to go for some. <laughs> We're in like a chicken or the egg scenario yeah. here. So forget it. Let's just uh, abort. It. Abort <laughs> ship. <laughs> Abandon ship. Okay. Okay. So while leaving the IOU may have been a nice gesture by Butch Cassidy, the owner of the clothier shop didn't appreciate the way he handled it and wound up pressing charges, but Cassidy was acquitted by the jury, got away with his five-finger discount, and went on his merry way. So, he continued to work on ranches until 1889 when he moved to Telluride, Colorado, a wild mining town full of gold-hungry prospectors. He moved ostensibly to seek work, but perhaps to deliver stolen horses to buyers. He led a cowboy's life in Wyoming and Montana before returning to Telluride in 1887, where he met Matt Werner, the owner of a racehorse named Betty. <laughs> now, this was back in the day when, like, racehorses um, just had, like, regular women's names. You know, not, like, the freaking phrases that yeah. they have now, you know, that they're called now, right. like, you know, <laughs> you know, down the prairie, right? It's not like that, no. Back then, it's just like Karen, you know? <laughs> so, he's, he's now into this whole racehorse thing with uh, his buddy Matt here, okay? Uh -huh. So, Cassidy and Warner raced Betty at various events, dividing the winnings between them, which led to perhaps Bush becoming one of the first uh, number runners in the U.S., too, because, see, everyone thinks it was the mafia that started all that. But, but it no, no, it wasn't. It was the cowboys oh, wow. out there with their own numbers racket. Way before that shit became yeah, so a Bronx tale. So they stole it. <laughs> they stole it? 
I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Another chicken or the egg. I'm just, I was, it was my way of trying to be funny, but it's it was hilarious. like, no, it was, one, it, it was actually a joke that tanked, but you know what? Look, we can't win them all. We can't win them all, folks. I'm just going to move on. Anyway, after that, the robberies took a serious turn and Butch Cassidy, along with three other men, including Mark Warner, robbed the San Miguel Valley Bank, stealing approximately $21,000. So today, that would be like plus or minus like 600K. Oh, wow. I'd say. So a nice chunk of change oh, for them. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, after they knocked off the bank, they fled to the robber's roost, a remote hideout in southeastern Utah, considered ideal because of the rough terrain. But you know what? It's funny to think that this is what, like, they had to resort to, like, back then, like, hiding out in some, like, dirty canyon and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, today, when someone needs to, like, you know, when someone needs, like, a month or two to sort of, like, you know, lay low and shit like that, like, following some criminal activity that you really just like wind up on like you know some old friends like doorstep or they find like a distant family member to like mooch you off of and like <laughs> crash on their couch and shit right well yeah. hopefully they don't find Charles Kennedy anymore, <laughs> yeah right hopefully they, they don't find to lay low yeah the end's open <laughs> good thing they didn't go see him they don't would have been $600,000 richer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, we're having fun with this one. Okay, so in 1890, Cassidy purchased a ranch on the outskirts of Du Bois, Wyoming, which, side note, is across the state from the notorious Hole in the Wall, which is a natural geological formation and was a popular hideout for the outlaw gangs, including Cassidy's during the era. So when he was like house hunting and shit, he wasn't like, you know, he 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 opted for the like convenient hideout versus the eating kitchen or the, you know, extra guest room. He's like, you know, I prefer my ranch to be located. That was one of his things. Right. When he was scoping out the ranch. I like it. I like it. Okay. Another one that's <laughs> <laughs> totally bombed. You heard the Totally bombed. Oh my god, I just got it! <laughs> okay. We're moving on. In early 1894, Cassidy became involved romantically with outlaw and rancher Ann Bassett. Her father was a rancher who did business with Cassidy, supplying him with fresh horses and beef. So, win-win for him, obviously. <laughs> All right. That same year, Cassidy was arrested at Lander, Wyoming, for stealing horses and possibly for running a protection racket among the local ranchers there. So, see? Mafia? <laughs> Cowboy mafia? I'm telling you. Holy it's shit. It's a just a little bit over the New York City gang. <laughs> you know, in my honest opinion. But, I don't know. It's debatable. <laughs> but we must go on. Okay, so he was imprisoned in the Wyoming State Prison in Laramie, where he served 18 months of a two-year sentence. He was released and pardoned in January 1896 by Governor William Alfred Richards. He became involved briefly with Anne Bassett's older sister, Josie, before returning to Anne. And needless to say, the Bassett sisters hated each other ever since. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't know. 
I don't know. I'm just speculating because let's face it, like when does it ever go well when the boyfriend's like diddling like the sister the too? Sister. Never. Yeah, no. That's like sibling rivalry yeah. at its best right there, right? Never, ever, ever date a sister and then another sister. But also from what I understand, Josie was sort of a revolving door, if you know what I mean. So Queen Anne was like, uh, like here we go again. My sister's a slut. Like, you know, like she's probably well, like I guess she likes her sloppy seconds. She, right? yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, apparently she does. So what does she get? I say you know what? <laughs> Cut them both off. Go live your life. Yeah. You'll be much better off. <laughs> okay. So now let's talk about the formation of Butch Cassidy's Wild Bunch. Oh. Okay, so sometime after Cassidy's release from prison in 1896, he formed a gang from the wild circle of criminals he hung out with, which included his closest friend, William Ellsworth Lay, or Elsie, as he was called on the streets. Uh Tall Texan, Kid Curry, Bob Meeks, and of course the most notable of the bunch, Harry Longabow, who we all know as the Sundance Kid. Oh, wow. Cassidy took the name from the Dueling Dalton Gang, also known as the Wild Bunch, who were a gang of American outlaws based in the Indian Territory. And they didn't have like trademark registrations and intellectual property rights back then, like they do now. So he just like pretty much up and stole it. Yeah. Like, I'm gone. But you know what? They deserve it because you know why? Because it was Cassidy's Wild Bunch that were the most successful train robbing gang in history. So there you That's go. Awesome. All right. So let's get into this. Because they're pretty spectacular. Um, at 1 a.m. on June 2nd, 1899, Cassidy, Sundance Kid, Harvey Logan, and Elsie robbed Union Pacific train near Wilcox, Wyoming. They wore DIY masks made from white napkins and got away with over $50,000 worth of cash, gold, and jewelry. The gang split up afterward, which was a common ploy to throw off pursuers, and several fled to New Mexico. On July 11th, 1899, gang members robbed a train near Folsom, New Mexico without Cassidy's presence. The pursuit by a posse led by Sheriff Ed Farr uh, culminated in two gun battles, during which Sheriff Farr and two deputies were killed. Gang member Sam Ketchum was wounded and died in custody. Elsie Lay was wounded and also captured. Cassidy and the other members regrouped in Wyoming. On August 29, 1900, Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, Kid Curry, and another unidentified gang member, believed to have been Will Carver, held up another Union Pacific train tipped in Wyoming. Less than a month later, on September 19, 1900, they raided the First National Bank of Winnemucca, Nevada. Oh, okay. I love it. So they stole $32,640 to be exact. Um, <laughs> these and other lucrative robberies led to much notoriety and fame. In December, Butch posed alongside Sundance, Logan, Carver, and Ben Kilpatrick in Fort Worth, Texas for the now-famous Fort Worth Five photograph. 
The Pinkerton Detective Agency obtained a copy of the photograph and began to use it for wanted posters. Butch Cassidy and Sundance split up but then met up again in New York City. Feeling continuous pressure from the numerous law enforcement agencies pursuing them and seeing their gang falling apart, they headed to Buenos Aires, Argentina aboard the British steamer Herminius on February 20th, 1901 alongside with Sundance's lady friend at a place. So Cassidy posed as James Ryan, Place's fictitious brother. They settled in a four-room log cabin on a 15,000-acre ranch that they purchased on the east bank of the Rio Blanco, just east of the Andes. Imagine, like, 15,000 acres? Holy shit. Wow. I know. To their neighbors, they appeared to be hardworking gringos, except for one disturbing fact. Wherever they went, they wore their guns. So they're like, somebody, something's up with them. Right. Um, they're probably like, what, who are these people? And what do they want from us? Okay. So the Pinkerton Agency had known their location for some time, but the snow and the hard winter of Patagonia had prevented their agent, Frank DeMeo, from making an arrest. Governor Julio Lozana issued an arrest. <laughs> an arrest? <laughs> Hunting rabbits. <laughs> Waskily wabbit, you. <laughs> oh my god, tipsy banter in the house. <laughs> tipsy banter in the house. Okay. Anyway. Well, anyway, the governor issued an arrest warrant, but Sheriff Edward Humphreys, a Welsh Argentine, tipped them off as he was friendly with Cassidy and enamored with Etta Place. So she had it going on. Cassidy Sundance Place and an unknown male associate robbed a bank in Mercedes on December 19th. They fled across the Pampas and the Andes to reach the safety of Chile. On June 30th, 1906, Etta Place decided that she had enough of life on the run, so Sundance took her back to San Francisco. Cassidy obtained honest work under the alias James Santiago Maxwell at the Concordia Tin Mine in the Santa Veracruz range of the central Bolivian Andes, where Sundance joined him upon his return. So see that? So Sundance just brought Etta back to the States and was like, see ya. (laughs) (laughs) He like just dropped her off. She wanted him to stay, but he was like, sorry, baby, bros before hoes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how that phrase came to be. All right. I'm sure. (laughs) So upon his arrival, Sundance joined Butch at the Concordia Tin Mine. Their main duties included guarding the company payroll, which had their employers known about their penchant for stealing, probably would have never given them that position in the first place, but they lucked out. So the two traveled to Santa Cruz in late 1907, a frontier town in Bolivia's eastern Savannah, still wanting to settle down as respectable ranchers. On November 3rd, 1908, a courier was carrying payroll for the Arameo Silver Mine near San Vicente in southern Bolivia, where he was attacked by two masked American bandits believed to be Butch and Sundance. Oh, boy. Witnesses saw them three days later in the small mining town of San Vicente, where they had lodged in a small boarding house owned by a miner named 
Bonifacio Casasola. Casasola became suspicious of them because they had a mule from the Arameo mine identifiable from the company's brands. He noticed a nearby telegraph officer who notified the Aberroa Cavalry Regiment stationed nearby. The unit dispatched three soldiers and they notified the local authorities. The soldiers, the police chief, the local mayor, and some of his officials all surrounded the lodging house on the evening of November 6th, intending to arrest the Arameo robbers. But as they approached the house, the bandits opened fire, killing one of the soldiers and wounding another. So this right now, what's going on, this like gunfight, this is like what all the like little boys, when they played like cops and robbers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the bandits, right? Remember with the cowboys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like they used to play, yeah, yeah. So this is like at their dream, like in the beginning when you watch a western and like you know a little boy's watching a western and this stuff starts happening. He's just like <laughs> jaw drop glued to the TV. Like this is what it's. So this is the like big. We're getting to the big climax here, okay? Yeah. All right. I love it. Brace yourself. Okay. <laughs> so um, the mayor heard a man scream three times inside, and then two successive shots were fired from inside the house. The authorities entered the house the next morning where they found two bodies with numerous bullet wounds to the arms and legs. The man assumed to be Sundance Kid had a bullet wound in the forehead and the man thought to be Butch Cassidy had a bullet hole in the temple. The local police report speculated that judging from the positions of the body, Butch had probably shot the fatally wounded Sundance to put him out of his misery, then killed him self so see these guys were obviously bffs yeah, like to the end <laughs> yeah it's like going on here. i mean that is the yeah. ultimate bromance right yes, there absolutely. i mean can't live without my my pal here if he if my he if he's not for, yeah. <laughs> yes, if he's not living i don't want to live that's how it was. Wow, that's yeah. true French. And that's where the phrase bromance came yes. from. <laughs> the old way, everything comes from the West. Okay, no. All right, anyway. So the Tapiza police identified the bandits as the men who robbed the Arameo payroll transport, but the Bolivian authorities didn't know their real names, nor could they positively identify them. In fact, there's no conclusive evidence linking Cassidy and Sundance to the robbery and shootout. Oh, wow. So afterwards... The bodies were buried in unmarked graves at the small San Vicente Cemetery near the grave of a German miner named Gustav Zimmer. In the late 20th century, researchers exhumed remains thought to be those of Butch and Sundance, but they didn't find any remains with DNA matching any of their living relatives. Oh. Yeah, so it's like, well, was it really them? Right. Well, you know, right. um, was it, re well, was it, you know, we don't know. All right, so meanwhile, following the alleged deaths of Butch and Sundance in South America, there were multiple reports the two men had returned to the United States where they lived for a number of years under aliases. aliases. Okay. Yep. So in 2017, a new search was launched for Butch Cassidy's grave, which zeroed in on a mine outside Good Springs, Nevada. The dig found human remains, but they did not match the DNA provided. So still wow. no answers. Um, so I just wanted to even let you know that even to today, this, this is, is still, a, yes, yeah. and it's 
still going on and it still has a fascination. So on an episode of the series Mission Declassified, Butch Cassidy's Buried Secrets, um, which airs this year, oh, investigative awesome. journalist Christoph Putzel or Putzel, I'm not sure, so it could be either of those, uh, met with a local researcher, Marilyn Grace, at Cassidy's Child's Home, the Parker Ranch in Circleville, Utah, to talk about the alleged burial of Cassidy at the ranch on the 20th of July, 1937. Grace explains that Cassidy was secretly buried at Tom's cabin, a former sheep herder's cabin located in a remote area of the property, which was also a favorite camping spot for Cassidy and his brothers. Grace says an eyewitness, neighbor D. Crosby, saw the burial take place at the cabin. Earlier, Putzel spoke to another Parker family ranch neighbor who described the family having been dressed in funeral-like attire on the same day. Grace goes on to say cadaver dogs have been brought to the cabin in an attempt to locate remains and lead to a positive identification. The underside of the cabin was later dug and two bones discovered, identified as a human spinal bone and toe bone. So... A forensic scientist, Susanna Ryan, at Pure Gold Forensics in Redlands, California, conducted a DNA test on the bones. Ryan confirmed they were in fact human but lacked enough DNA for a complete profile. It's since believed that as the site may have been more public knowledge, the Parker family had excavated Cassidy's remains at the cabin and moved them to a different burial site, but oops in doing so. <laughs> they were a little clumsy and like and left a couple parts. <laughs> left a spine and a toe bone behind. Oh in the process. Obviously he wasn't in the box or anything. <laughs> was they like, just I know, it's like they get so close. It's like, you know, every, like what do they say? Like oh, you take one step forward <laughs> like two steps <laughs> like oh jeez Louise it's like what else is gonna go on with us? Oh this? my god. Alright. So more than a century after their presumed deaths, the true fate of Butch and Sundance still remains a mystery. Wow. All right, so after this podcast episode, of course, um, the best retelling of their story comes in the form of the 1969 American Western film directed by George Roy Hill and written by William Goldman, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yep. So Paul Newman stars as Butch Cassidy and Robert Redford stars as the Sundance Kid. Based loosely on fact, the film tells the story of Wild West outlaws and was selected by the American Film Institute as the seventh greatest Western of all time. Wow. It won four Academy Awards, including Best Original Screenplay for William Goldman and Best Song, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, uh -huh. which became a radio hit and one of those tunes that once you start singing it, <laughs> you, you won't be able to get it out of your head for a long time. <laughs> and you probably just put this song in everybody's head for a long time. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, with a final U.S. gross over $100 million, it was the top grossing film released in 1969. Wow. With my personal favorite film of 1969, Midnight Cowboy Landing in second place. 
So Jonathan is a huge fan of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, like recites lines uh-huh. from the movie kind of <laughs> super fan. And Midnight Cowboy is like one of my all-time favorite movies. So there's a little debate about like which is the better film because both of them came out in the same year. Right. They were both nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture, but needless to say, Midnight Cowboy took home the Oscar. So there <laughs> you go. <laughs> Which casting Sundance No, it does um, contain a lot of funny banter between Paul Newman and Robert Redford and definitely holds a special place in cinematic history. So, you know, definitely a must-see if you haven't seen it. And then you must see Midnight Cowboy because that's really the better film. But anyway, no, no, no. But seriously... Um, had so much fun today. Oh my God, doing, these like, were fun. These look, were great. I don't know about you, but I'm sweating my ass off. Yes, it's time to move this party Let's to the deck, deck. where I see fun. wind blowing. Oh, lovely. So it looks there's, nice. a, there's a lovely breeze for us, yes, Rebecca. Absolutely. Well, um, I just wanted to make a couple of announcements yes. real quick, only because, um, you know, th- they're on my mind. So, anyway, um, First, we have to thank our listeners and followers. Absolutely. I mean, seriously. So every time I check, we have more subscribers, we have more followers on Instagram, and the number of downloads keeps going up. That's so we are so incredibly psyched. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If yes. you like us, let thank us you. know. If you don't like us, well, you know, I guess you could let us know, but we don't really want to hear that <laughs> stuff. But no, anyway, um, tell a friend who you know loves true crime yes, about our podcast. The spread the word because you know what? They should be listening to us because we're fun kind of gals, all right? So you can follow us on Instagram, just search for Crimes Uncorked, and you'll find our feed full of episode announcements, show notes, and of course our wines of the day and other fun stuff. So click the follow button once you get there and become part of our weirdo wino cult. Yes. You'll be glad you did. <laughs> All right. And for everything else you want to know about our podcast, check out our website, crimesuncorked.com. You can reach out to us there and let us know what you think of our episodes and more. And if you'd like to support us by donating to our wine fund, which would be super duper nice, uh, just click the wine link at the top of our homepage and you'll be directed to our wine fund jar where you can help keep our glasses full and our banter tipsy by making your online donation today. And it's through our PayPal account, but you don't need a PayPal account to make a donation. You set the value and then you simply use your credit card or debit card and every dollar is appreciated. And we'll even thank you on the next episode. Yes, thank you. And lastly, you can listen to all of our episodes on our CastBox channel. Just go to castbox.fm and search Crimes Uncorked and click the subscribe button when you get there. And this way, you'll know as soon as we post new episodes. You can also let us know what you think by leaving your two cents in the comments section under each episode. So I had a lot of fun today with episode 16. Yeah. Awesome. I thought it was great. Um, yeah, so let's grab the rest of the wine. Let's go out on the back deck. We can look at the Texas Longhorn yes, cows. Absolutely. And pretend we're back out in the, back in the um, old west. west, grazing on the farm right back there. And, um, you know, we just want to say that whether you're a city slicker or wannabe outlaw who loves tales of murder and mayhem, grab a bottle and join us because as long as there's crime, there's, there's gotta, gotta be wine. wine.